0: which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the nation, episode 183. This is Vague the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we learn that Vince Vaughn is a Republican. I'm your host, Nagin Farsad, and I had no idea, you guys. He was like the swingers icon of my youth. Why did this happen? Um, do you guys know what I'm talking about, by the way?
1: Yeah. Like, uh, he's just a, a Trump supporter. Is that it? He's always I guess, been a beast. Yeah.
2: Come on, you know he's a conservative. <laughs> Those people hate, they look down on everyone. But oom.
0: You, uh, hey, um, no, yeah, he was, like, at at some sort of football game, and he had, like, a nice sit-down with Donnie, and they had, like, a little handshake and a bunch of smilings, so, um, that's all I really know. Um, let us all never speak of this again. Agree. Um, (laughs) because today we're going to talk about the debates. Who won, who lost, who was ridiculous. We'll also do an Iran and an impeachment check-in, and finally, uh, complaining. Is there some kind of secret Benefit to it. Um, I am joining you guys from my hometown of Palm Springs, California. Um, it my at my parents' house, uh, and I. That's why I sound different. I'm gonna just sound a little different today. Um, but joining me from New York, where they sound normal and the same, um, we have. Oh my God, such an exciting way for me to come back into the show with these two panelists, you guys. Comedian and author of the book, Get Rich Cheating. He's also editor of peoplescience.com, which is a behavioral science website, which is super fun. Um, and I've known him, I met him in Comedy World 150 years ago. I've known him forever. He's the best. You guys, it's Jeff Chrysler. Hey, Jeff.
2: Hey, Nagin. Thanks for having me back. And uh, how's Florida?
0: It's uh well actually California. Oh, Palm, Palm Springs, Springs Palm
2: Beach. What's the difference? <laughs> I know.
0: Literally, my entire life, people have made that mistake, and I've always been like, no, 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 the other one, the better one. Um, the I'll say that I'll say the better one. I'll say the one with fewer bath salts. Mm. Um. I am also joined um, by comedian and man about town and a total delight. And you've heard him on the show before and you've loved him on the show before. You guys, it's Lou Gonzalez. Hey, Lou.
1: Hey, glad to be back. And I love love Palm Springs.
0: Oh, my God. It's great. I mean, as a Uh, queer man, I,
1: I guess I have to.
0: <laughs> You're required. Yeah. And I also want to extend an invitation to anyone who's visiting Palm Springs um, to email the show, cometsoffaiththenation.com, and I will give you my Palm Springs recommendations. Uh, some people have actually DM'd me or whatever on Instagram or Twitter to get New York recommendations, and I'm okay with New York recommendations, I'm pretty decent. However, I'm. I think I'm much better as a Palm Springs native at Palm Springs recommendations. Um, So keep that in your back pocket, listeners of Fake the Nation. Yeah, get those hot hot. Next time you're in town,
1: yeah, get those hot hot Palm Springs wrecks.
0: (laughs) Um, All right, you guys, let's dip into topic number one. So we're actually recording this on a Wednesday. The debates happened last night and a Tuesday. And my main feeling throughout the entire thing was, why aren't we all voting yet? Holy shit, is this process miserably dragged out? Fantastic. We have to hear these people describe the miserable nuance between them on healthcare for the 73rd time. And why the fuck do we have to be so Iowa-focused when the entire rest of the country does, in fact, exist? Why,, um, ok. so that was like my general feeling about last night's debate that it didn't have anything to do with a specific debate. Just more about electoral dysfunction. forgetting, um that the the miseries of our electoral process, what were your main takeaways from the debate last night?
2: Well, I'll say this. and and I realize it's a it's a very delicate topic. and I, I don't know what, but there's something about whenever Elizabeth Warren talks, I just feel, like, she just comes across so, like, just, like, so – it's not deli- – just so presidential. And I don't know yes. what it is. Like, as a man, maybe I have a, a bias. But, like, she just seems like she's, like, smart and competent and a good leader and has good foresight. And is a type of person that I would feel comfortable saying is smarter than me and more qualified than me. And, you know, again, it's it's a sense of thing. It's just it just something about her just rubs me as being so presidential. <laughs> Wow, I can't believe you said that i, <laughs> I know i'm I know, going, just, I'm, going I, <laughs> I'm going there I'm going there I tell like it is and if people Wait, out there don't De- like Jeff,
0: it um, Jeff um I know that you've listened to absolutely every episode of Fake the Nation, but in case you missed it, um it most of our panelists have been Elizabeth Warren fans I'm sure I'm like I've been like desperate to find even just like. A budget uh, person or whatever, um, but uh, for some reason I don't know, and it might be a New York thing. Like for whatever reason, I feel like large parts of New York are just h- hardcore for Warren.
2: Can I tell you um, what I can I tell you what I think some of it is? And, and I admit I have a, a Jeff bias on here, but if there's also a selectivity to who is part of Fake Nation, I actually want someone who I think is more qualified than me to be president. And maybe it's not reflective of the other Democratic candidates as much as it is Trump. Uh, But that was the thing about Obama. I certainly felt like he was smarter than I was. And Warren is one who really just exudes this, like, command of the situation, I think, more than anybody else on that stage. And that's why, among other reasons, I'm a fan. And look, I I watched last night, and I, I would be comfortable with any of them. They all have qualities that I appreciate that I could defeat Trump and could be good leaders. But Warren is my choice. I'm not ashamed to say it.
0: Uh, Lou, how'd you feel?
2: I feel,
1: I feel like my spirit animal was how sleepy and disconnected um, Joe Biden was. I love that. <laughs> like I was like, I'm in the same camp as you. I'm like, what am I doing here? Why am I asking this question again? I, can I just be president? I'm gonna say Obama 70 times
0: <laughs> and, and thrive.
1: But I, um, I totally agree with Jeff. I just like it's really, it's just I'm like. She just, there's just something about Warren, and I think it's that uh, she's tremendously competent, and also um, there is a tone um, uh, and a confidence there um, uh, that I feel resonates with me and how I feel about uh, the direction this country has gone and where I think it can go. And I think there's something there that's very akin to Obama, where I feel like there's things that she's saying that resonate and hit my it Just hit my heart more than my head, and I feel like a lot of these other candidates, um, uh, surprisingly, most of them men, um, white men, uh, no. happen to not. <laughs> and no. that's it.
0: right.
2: I thought. Well, what, what I find interesting, it, it just I realized that when you just said Obama's name was. I think what Warren brings is she. Marries the aspiration and the idealism of Bernie with sort of the pragmatism of like the Klobuchar, if we just stick to who's on that stage. Ooh. And I, I think that's when like she dreams big, but she also is realistic. And I know when I first uh, decided that I want a woman and who's Elizabeth Warren in the streets and Elizabeth Warren in the White House was uh, <laughs> when she scraped together the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I mean, there's, there's it's been knocked down, but like that she made that happen. In the environment of reality, if you will. And I think, you know, I love Bernie's ideas. I don't know if I love his, I love his ideas, but I, I think there's not, it's not realistic to walk in day one and have, you know, Medicare for all. Snap your fingers. Look at how hard it was for Obamacare. And I think Warren marries uh, pragmatism and, and working within the system and having a plan with that idealism. And I think yeah I came she's an idealist
0: and an idealist with spreadsheets you know <laughs> that's basically what she is and, and so let's talk a little bit about the the Warren Bernie feud it sort of erupted before the debates um there was a story that came out that Bernie had said to her in a 2018 private meeting that w- a woman could never be president um and then you know uh and that sort of made the the rounds um and then they asked bernie about it he denied ever having said that um but but warren stuck to her guns and said you know she was disheartened that he had said that but that but that basically she moved on you know from that from that part of the conversation and really just addressed the question like can a woman be president um the funny thing is when i heard the story that bernie said that a woman couldn't be president i was sort of like this is not controversial. Many, many, many people think a woman can't be ele- wouldn't be elected president. Um, so I, I, even if he did say that, I don't even find that controversial <laughs> because I'm just like, oh, you're just like most people. Um, so, um, so, but the but the media is now really like. In this morning's kind of highlight coverage, I noticed really taking hold of this, like, quote-unquote feud. Is it a feud? Does it matter? How did that make you guys feel?
1: I feel um, like—I mean, I truly hate CNN. So, like, just the fact that they broke it just is really disheartening. Um, uh, But also, uh, the tone in which they handled it in the debate, I wasn't a big fan of. I don't think anyone was a big winner. I think Warren came out looking really good, but ultimately— it was very fascinating to see, like, how they questioned uh, Sanders uh, on it and how they brought it up uh, to Warren. Um, I just, I feel like that, I feel like they just need it. Like, they need something. I feel like they're bored and they need something. And Yeah. Um, and I also find it fascinating that Sanders himself, like, I think he would have diffused a lot if he was like, you know what? This is something that I said. This is something that I may have thought, but I don't think that now, because if he did say it and he denied it and he's denying it now, it just it's not a good look. Um, Right. I think if anything, people are just going to stay at the camps that they've already stayed at and just argue their points based on who they were supporting before this story broke anyways.
2: Well, you know. Right. Uh, I, a slight disagreement. I've been to Iowa a few times, and I, the good people there—they spend a lot of time checking out the trending Twitter hashtags. So <laughs> I agree. It was—it's it, a nothing burger that they made into something. I mean, what was what was disheartening as others have pointed out. Is uh, this all sort of quote unquote er- erupted shortly after there was evidence that uh, our president basically ordered a hit on an ambassador? And what is more consequential, like? The nuances of a private conversation and how one person remembers it and one other person remembers it, um, people that are aligned, uh, you know, 96% aligned politically or a president ordering a hit or many other issues. And it just seems like it's that classic um, looking for that horse race mentality, looking to create conflict, and it, it's not there. Uh, you know, it's becoming something. And I think you're right that the people are going to stand. The people that are fired up about it are people that are already so firmly entrenched in camps that it doesn't matter.
0: Um, I do want to say, though, that like and everyone's been talking about this, that her answer to this moment, which was basically like, oh, wait, do I have it here? Maybe I have it here and I can just read you exactly what she said. Um She said, look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost 10 elections. The only people on stage who have won every single election that they've been in are the women, Uh, to which Amy Klobuchar said, thank you. Um, But it's, you know, I thought that was a really great way of handling this, that basically – why are we even talking about it when the women on the stage have a better record of being elected than the men? Uh, this is a you know this is a bogus question, um, and and so I, th- I felt like she handled that really well, and it was like definitely one of the more memorable moments of the evening, and um and you know and and I think you're right that like the way he handled the denial didn't feel you know didn't feel exactly right for the moment, you know.
2: I I just get a sense sometimes like. I, I love Bernie, and uh, I love his ideas, and I hope the people that support him will realize that if his ideas champion or, or win, that's what matters. But it does seem a lot of times in the debates that he – if it's not about something he wants to talk about, he can't be bothered to take the time to um, give the subject some deference or some respect. And it seemed like with that, he was just annoyed by the question, which, yes, is a stupid question, but there's still a more – Uh, I think, delicate and political way to handle it. I mean, like it or not, these are politicians. Yeah, he did.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's it's fascinating because, like, what makes me like Bernie Sanders also burns him (laughs) uh, is, like, I like his focus. I like this, like, this is an issue that I want to focus on. This is why I'm here. This is why I came to do. But also that can, you know, that sort of stubbornness could burn you when there's an issue that definitely resonates um with people um uh and uh i think that's something that he dealt with in the last election uh with black live matt with black live Ma- uh black lives matter um and he's dealt with it here where it's just like well this is what i'm talking about i was like they're bigger the world is bigger than what you're focusing on and while uh uh this is something that you may not want to pay attention to the world kind of is and you kind of have to like pay attention to it
2: you- yeah, is that? Is I, that, that I agree guys, with the dog. Like, dog like is... come on, like, stop. Good <laughs> tell with a dog or some sort of sneezing fit by like a, a three-legged. What's interesting person. is
1: that we have a bunch of dog toys in the studio here in New
2: York. I thought those were sex toys.
1: <laughs> oh, well, you know, first of all, anything's a sex toy if you're <laughs> uh, creative if, enough. If creative, creative. yeah, or if you're malleable enough. <laughs> uh,
0: um, to, to I, I want to say I, sorry, oh, sorry. What,
2: Yeah, when please. You know, When you're in the studio, it's a lot easier for me to interrupt you without feeling like a misogynist jerk. So, like, if our listeners could just (laughs) pretend. (laughs) Um, I just want to tag on to to what Lou is saying uh, about, like, it's great to have the one issue, but, you know, whether or not traditional American politics are out the window at this point or not, one of the things that metrics, I think, has always been, like— what kind of leader are you in broad strokes, right? Because you can't predict what's going to happen. You're not going to walk into the Oval Office and get to do exactly what you want. You have to respond to world events. And if we're just in a neutral state and everything's groovy and Bernie wants to impl- you know, uh, implement his plans to change the economic structure, great. But realistically, there's going to be something else that happens, a natural disaster, a conflict, a, a collapse somewhere. Right. And- who's better to like respond to that stuff versus just blowing it off?
0: Oh, that's a really good point because I think, especially just in the debates themselves, you can see Elizabeth Warren just is able to handle every question very thoughtfully as if she's already been a president. You know what I mean? And so again, I'm so in the bag for Warren. I should stop talking, mm. but I, uh, I, want to, um, I want to look quickly. So it's a four-way tie in Iowa. The national polls have still Biden in the lead with with um, Bernie and, and Elizabeth close um, in, a, in a, following him closely, and then um, and then of um coming in fourth on the national polls. But in Iowa, it's like a bit of a four way toss up. Anything could happen. Situation. Um, do you guys feel like this debate changed anything? Did anything about Biden or Budajed move you, or or Klobuchar or Tom Steyer? You yeah. know, and his First of plaid all, tie.
1: Tom Tom Steyer showed up. OK, I think we all can agree <laughs> that he showed up and we saw that he was a person um, and he was there and he said words. And yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what those words are or even what his voice sounds like, but he was there. And I think that's a win in itself for him yeah. at his
0: camp. <laughs> no, I have, Can I just say about Tom Styer though, that like he... He's not a piece of garbage, you know what I mean? I right. do believe that he's a billionaire progressive. I, I I believe that about him. And again i i would take him I would take him over Bloomberg if we have to if we have to choose between billionaires, um, just based on 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 the rhetoric that we we've seen from him. He's not like total garbage, but he is in fact just essentially a guy that showed up and said words also at the same time
2: he felt like a hype man i mean i feel like every response was he go as a buddha judge correctly pointed out or as warren said earlier but also like yeah yeah and, and also
1: like i feel like he also used his money to position himself to get to the place where he was where he was like one of the candidates up there for the debate because truly i mean if you ask anyone in the country they would not want to see him up there they would rather see someone else uh Cory Booker, like who had just dropped out. I would have loved to see Cory. I would have loved to see truly any person of color. I would love to see my dad up there. I would love to see any person of color up there, other than because, like, truly the main (laughs) issue, the hugest issue with Donald Trump that people like, uh, like gloss over every once in a while is like, he is fueled by this undertone of racism and racial. Uh, uh, Like his immigration policies, uh, uh, all of his uh, 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 his social policies, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, like it is, I mean, just even the handling of Iran. um, uh, It's fascinating that all the candidates that are up there are white. It speaks volumes as to what, you know, the people in power of this country still hold on to and what they value, which is disappointing
0: um agree did did to judge move either of you at all yep. or do you think that that his performance will move the needle for him
2: my feeling was that um without really doing anything biden was strengthened in the sense that like the last point that we were bringing up about warren uh being sort of it felt like she's been president and sort of she could handle things as they come up i think that that's sort of been biden's selling point the whole time like i'm steady presence, I've been there, et cetera. Whether that's a good selling point or not, that's his shtick. Uh and I think that Buddha Judge suffers in the re, uh, in the reverse of that, if that's the right word. Like I I find it hard to conceive of someone going and pulling a lever or in this case, you know, advocating in a caucus for a Buddha Judge in light of world events as they're transpiring, in light of Iran conflict and um, whatever other issue and and Australia on fire as being someone who can do that and do much more than saying, yeah, I shipped out, right? When I shipped out, this happened. And so I think that both Buttigieg and Biden um, moved in opposite directions almost by happenstance of world events highlighting just how important this role as president really is
0: you know what's weird about Buttigieg, and again I think he's a really smart guy um, and I would I would take him over Trump you know any right. anytime he would do 12,000 times a better job um but he really really spent a lot of time restating questions yeah uh, and just really aggressively agreeing with the moderator and then by the time you got to like what he might do about it a solution part of the answer uh the, the time was up you and so yeah. it was like it so it sort of felt like, you know, the thing that I used to do in high school when I didn't fully have a lot to say about the analysis of like the French Revolution or whatever. Term paper I was writing, you know what I mean, where I would just like really do a lot of stating, um, <laughs> and then before I got to analysis and solutions. So, um, so that was I think I think, and that's kind of what we've seen him from the beginning. I think it's like a real you know problem. I do want to say, Cleopatra. It's funny because I was I watched the debate with my parents um, and my husband, and my mom was just like, I like her, you know, and. I I she does have a something. She has a something. She does she does kind of she uh you really evokes that Midwestern practicality and I would be utterly satisfied with her as the candidate even though she's not as progressive as I'd love for her to be um but again I think she's fucking competent, you know?
1: I love her pragmatism. I mean, it's uh uh she's rock steady. Um I really appreciate and she has something to say which I think with with Buttigieg, I feel like with him, it, I, I can almost f- feel from the screen how much he wants it. Like he really, like he's mm. really trying to be presidential. He's really trying to like make this happen. Um, but it's very difficult to when uh, uh, to do that when when he's talking and he doesn't really have much to say. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, we uh, people of Fake the Nation, let me know. Who do you think won? Who do you think lost? Does it change anything for you? I'm so sorry that I'm so clearly in the bag for Warren. Um, But I really do think all all of the candidates have something going for them. Um, And uh, you know what we're going to do right now, you guys? We're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about more uplifting things like impeachments. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you. With a click of a button, it's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. We are back, uh, and it's time for topic number two. So last week we were in the middle of obscene intensity between Iran and the United States – By the way, you guys, thank you so much for those of you who signed my petition with MoveOn.org, the uh, No War with Iran petition. We got nearly 100,000 signatures, uh, which is fantastic. Um, And so anyways, thank you for all the fake the nation people who signed that. Um, But when we left, it appeared as though we were in a de-escalation situation, and I wanted to do a check-in to see where we are now, because it's been a strange and heartbreaking week since um, it turns out the Revolutionary Guard mistakenly fired a missile that took down the Ukrainian flight that had taken off from Tehran, killing 170. 76 people aboard uh, the missile was fired amid the tensions between the United States and Iran. Um, there were protests in protests in the streets of Iran, demanding accountability from leaders. Uh, newscasters even quit their jobs for having been put in the position to report lies. Um, Justin Trudeau, uh from Canada, said the following. He said, I think if there were no tensions, if there was no escalation recently in the region, those Canadians would be right now home with their families. Um, This is something that happens when you have conflict and war. Innocents bear the brunt of it. And it's a reminder to all of us that we need to work hard on de-escalation. So he basically... He basically says that the United States ha- bears some of the blame for for that uh, missile being fired mistakenly and killing those 176 people, among them Canadians. Um, what do you make of Trudeau's assessment, and where where do does it feel like we stand right now with Iran? It's such a crazy week with the debates and the impeachment um, firing up that I, I I honestly feel confused.
2: It's. Uh- it's a complex issue, uh, and I have uh, a take that, unlike my joking take about Warren before, is uh, I'm not sure how delicately I'll, I'll phrase it. So I, I, I um, hope that you will bear with me. But I think that, given how little response and outrage there has been beyond um, sort of progressive and right and circles, as for the caging of children and the immigration policy, otherwise, and the Puerto Rico policy, and all the racism that you mentioned, basically all the treatment of people who are not white. I think that if there is a tiny silver lining out of this, the fact that Trump's crazy policies, for to, uh, an inadequate label to just call them crazy, uh, affects a, a white country like uh, Canada, maybe we'll start to uh, hammer in the message to people that haven't been moved by his treatment of brown people that there are consequences and that lives are being affected and lost. It's a, it's a tiny tangential side of it, and I, I find myself always looking for some weird optimism, and that's terrible. Um, but it's it's real consequences for his selfish action, and I think that too many people look at what happens in the Middle East and say, oh, I don't care. And whether it's a racism or just it's far away and they can't find it on a map, it doesn't affect me. And the fact that how 60 Lives or whatever was, that Canadians are neighbors, people that for better or worse a lot of people see as being like them because they're white like them. Um, hopefully, if there's a tiny silver lining, can start to bring the, the message home that this madman isn't just a funny guy saying crazy stuff. He's a madman doing horrible things. Now, you can cancel me if you want.
0: Okay. <laughs> that, 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 uh, I think you're in the clear. Um, Lou, do you feel, where do you feel like we are now? And, and, and is it sort of like the news cycle has moved on and so it's not even happening?
1: Oh, for sure. I think they're more, they're definitely more interested in, in the election. Uh, the fact that um, they, they looked at um, uh, the retaliation uh, uh, of Iran as a nothing, brother, burger, other than um, uh, that accident. I think what's fascinating um, about the whole thing is that I'm surprised there hasn't been more of this. Like more of mm, Trump, yeah, making decisions that, and like I mean, he probably, I mean, he definitely has, but in terms of like on a large scale, I mean, he's basically been poking at Iran since he became yeah. president.
2: I think. Well, I think early in his administration, there were still competent people there that were advising him, preventing things from happening. And I think now everybody has left that could stop him from doing stuff. I bet, like, in the first couple months he walked in there, he was ready to, like, just blow everything up. But people stopped him from doing that. And now I don't think there's anything stopping him. Well, good. For, well, he's good like
0: for he, he's basically at this point like posting jobs on ZipRecruiter. You know what I mean? Like it's very hard for them to fill some of these positions, and like you know, the State Department is essentially a series of empty cubicles. Um, so I'm, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. Like right now, there's just a lot less um, in the in his way. You know, in the in the shape of actual human beings. Um, and I also think. Um, that, um, that the interesting thing is that he had already agreed to this assassination about seven months ago. Um, you know, give it, he was like waiting for, if he said, if an American life is hurt, then I will, you know, then yes, I agreed to this assassination. But they had also, also said that the assassination was because of uh, imminent danger that Soleimani was going to attack these American embassies. So they're caught up in, um, I guess we'll call it a lie um, a web about what well, the motive. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> um, very rare, very they got rare, occurred <laughs> What? Sorry, I, I didn't hear that. I was like,
1: oh, I'm just surprised they got caught in a lie. I mean, it doesn't even oh, matter yeah, like, they got caught in a yeah. Doesn't matter if they get caught in a lie; they're just going to keep lying. It's just like it's just an <laughs> endless stream. It's a beautiful yeah. waterfall of uh, uh, lies,
0: (laughs) but it's like, it's, but this is the craziest kind of lie to me because I mean, I I feel like I say that all the time, like, but this lie is crazy. This lie is crazy because it really impacted geopolitics. I mean, it really affected the world order for the couple of weeks that we were in that situation and maybe we're out of it, but it's not entirely clear if we're out of it. Um, and so I think that um, that's huge. It's also, you know, in terms of like our allies, in terms of like our st- our good standing at the United Nation. I mean, these kinds of lies are really they really matter. Um, I do want to point really quickly to the U.K., France and Germany who are imposing sanctions on Iran to get them to comply with a nuclear deal and basically get them back to the table because Iran stopped complying with a nuclear deal. Why should they when the United States is not complying with the nuclear deal? Um the you uh and uh, the and the shitty thing about that is that um. So they're imposing sanctions. Um, The U.S. sanctions that were already imposed include a prohibition on banking transactions, which basically means that it fucks every country out of doing anything with Iran because so much of banking happens through the United States. Um, The European Union was trying to work out some kind of barter system so they could avoid like currency transactions. And it it looked like that was difficult and not happening. It's so weird how one
2: impact of this might be the institutions of banking and other international uh, important functions might move out of the United States by being withdrawn. It's only, I mean, if you were someone, let's say your name is Padamir Vlutin, and you wanted to <laughs> diminish American power, you would make sure all of the international institutions that have funneled through America no longer do so. that so some other uh, force elsewhere creates them in the future.
0: Right. Because, and this is the thing if, like, because we're too volatile right yeah. now. And it, and so Vladimir Putin or Tatamir Tutin would say <laughs> why would you have your banking transactions go f- go through this very volatile um entity and 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 even though he's a, a fucking nightmare he would be right <laughs> I mean and and his his job of dismantling us would be complete so i think i mean yeah basically uh, we're closing thoughts, Yeah, uh, basically we're screwed, mm-hmm. closing thoughts on Iran before we move to the impeachment. Um, do you feel like, um, do you feel like it's something that cannot, would also rear its head during other tense moments of the impeachment perhaps? Like, is it, is that just too, um, cynical for me to frame it that way?
2: Well, wasn't there a report that Trump said at some point that he Did it in part to appease people like Tom Cotton and other senators that are hawks and then that want to do. I mean, his corruption is all of a piece and his incompetency. So it is connected. I I think what has the more potential for reeling its head is even if the news cycle has moved off it after two weeks, that's not how geopolitics works. Like this is going to sit there and the response – that we may feel may not come for six years, but it's still something. It's still an assassination of a, of a state official without any justification, um, and then a series of lies. Then the ramifications will rear their head at some point.
0: On that note, let us move on to um, <laughs> I think other the word ramifications. Cheery, that
2: cheery note. That <laughs> <is>. <laughs>
0: Let's move on to uh, the impeachment. Uh, The trial phase of the impeachment is now underway as Pelosi named the House impeachment managers. Adam Schiff is one of them, and she's forwarding the articles to the Senate, I think, right now as we speak. Um, What do you think of this timing? Uh, Are you hopeful about the Senate process in any way?
1: You know, I feel like the Senate has been really open about this, and you know how they want a you know legitimate <laughs> trial, and how they you know you know, uh-huh. you know like they you know due process, you know like they respect um, facts and evidence, and I think like you know yeah, the like, Senate yeah. is just
0: full of like pe- dudes sitting in bean bags, like talking about their feelings and being really open. <laughs> yeah, that's and, and, and how like I picture they,
1: it. That, that's always been their history, you know, and uh, they they've always uh, been on the up and up, and I'm just really excited to just see. You know, just see a trial happen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, what do you think we're going to see?
2: I hope that it drags out through the State of the Union so that he can't then go up there and spend an hour telling us how great he is for that particular reason. Um, I'm fascinated by this, and I think it's going to play out in ways that we can't fully anticipate, especially as more damning news comes up. I, I would love for Nancy Pelosi to hand over the... Um, impeachment papers or whatever the ceremony is. Say at five, and then at, at five fifteen, say, and we're starting another inquiry into Lev Parnas and the assassination attempt, and or any of a million other impeachable offenses. It just have it be a constant uh, drumbeat of of impeachment. Uh, I don't think she'll do that. Uh, I'm, I, I'm really curious to see when it, you know senators have always seemed to be less. Um, politically-minded than uh, congressmen. At least that's how they've always made themselves out to be. Um, and how many of them are going to vote for witnesses? How many of them are going to actually listen to testimony? On both sides. And uh, I'm, I hope that we get to watch it. I don't know if you, you caught that there's been some restrictions on the press coverage. That's not even clear. C-SPAN cameras are going to be allowed to show it. So... There's a lot of hiding of what's going on, and I hope to the extent that the American people get to watch it, that they do.
0: Uh, so one one thing that the Trump administration might do is claim executive privilege on witnesses, uh, which I mean I am I'm not surprised at all. But I mean if you really like tease that out. What that means is that Congress basically has no power of impeachment. You know what I mean? If no witnesses can come and if Congress can't actually do the process, if the Senate can't actually do the investigation that they're, you know, that they're supposed to do, that they're constitutionally um, given the power to do, then they really have no uh, impeachment power right because if you can't if you can't really investigate the president then you can't really ever remove him for wrongdoing that's what they're trying uh, to make you, that's what they're
2: trying to say i mean that's the the Bill Barr and and everybody else saying you can't get me i mean that that's that's what i'm saying or or to run out the clock or to hide it and it's um i mean it's a re- it's a constitutional crisis is what it's been called for 3 years and they're accurate and so is there any ramifications for Ordering a hit on an ambassador, and that's not part of it, or for abuse of power, or what's gone on. And the Republican Party, for whatever reason, has done everything it can to hide the wrongdoing of a single man.
1: It's fascinating. It's like, it's like when you uh, and, and and try to keep track here. It's like when you're playing, when you were a little kid and you were playing pretend, and that little kid and. Uh, like with like friends and then you you shoot this little kid with a laser and he goes, you didn't shoot me. I I I had a shield the whole time. I was like, you never said that. (laughs) And I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to do something else. He's like, no, you can't do that. And like, that's kind of like the way they have been using executive privilege. I mean, mean, they have have essentially been doing every, it's been pretty obvious how hard they've been trying to cover up and slow down this process. And what is um, damning. And hopefully history will show this is, how open and receptive um, Congress has been to how blatantly um, open they are in terms of covering it up to just serve their own purposes. Um, it's really disconcerting, but also not necessarily surprising considering how they've been... Uh, I mean, Trump has been getting done what they wanted done. So, like they so, are like I scratch your back Yeah, I mean it's it's mine, been
0: yeah. it's worked. Right. It's yeah. it's worked and for some reason I just thought that when it when impeachment articles made it over to the Senate it wasn't like the buck would stop there because does Mitch does Mitch McConnell want to completely neuter his own institution? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it seems weird even though they're in the same party like you still want to be like no 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 sir. We still are an institution. I'm not going to neuter it for you. Um, so yeah, I just for some not, reason just thought care. it would
1: stop. Yeah, he doesn't care. This is a man who does he, – he he just wants to get but what he wants to get done and whatever,
0: but whatever he, he needs to do for that, But he still wants the Senate to be – but he still wants the Senate to be powerful. You know what I mean? And so like ex- accepting executive privilege and saying, okay, we're not going to interview anybody is like – we is just like saying, you know what? We're not the Senate is not powerful. It is a lapdog and it's useless. That, that's kind of what it's. You know what I mean? But I, I, think, so that I, that in, I, I think that that's Mitch's perspective.
2: I think there's a difference between Mitch McConnell and uh, Justice Roberts. Right, for instance, I think Justice Roberts. Mm-hmm. If there's one hope for our country, it's a Justice Roberts, as he showed in the um, Obamacare case. Like he cares about the institution of the Supreme Court. I think Mitch McConnell couldn't care less about the the Senate. I think you know a lot of Republican ideology has been driven by you know Ronald Reagan's the government is the problem and so the more the less government accountability is the better because they think to let people get away with whatever they want. Under the assumption that they're always going to be the ones in power getting away with the stuff that they want. And so I, I think right. that he would be fine if the Senate abdicated its power um, except for the power to Stonewall. I mean if he really thought the Senate should have some power, what about the hundreds of bills that are uh, on his desk from the House? What about all of the other things that have that have happened? I mean he, he even abdicated power with the whole the Merrick Garland thing, right? As much as it was BS, he yeah, said, well, right, that's what right. the American people decide. Like He doesn't care about the institutions. no.
0: Well, you guys, I just, need to drink? in my heart of hearts, I believe, <laughs> in my heart of hearts, I believe that Mitch McConnell has, like, a little pocket constitution somewhere in the folds of his chin, and that <laughs> one day he'll look at it and be like, you know what, guys, I had it all wrong. <laughs> and then that one day will be, you know, tomorrow when the impeachment proceedings start. So um, join me in this wishful thinking. Um, I me le- uh, you. Thank you, Jeff. Um, Now, you guys, let us move on to the final topic, topic number three. Uh, So now's the time in the show and we don't talk about the political, the miserable political condition, uh, but we do talk about the miserable human condition. Uh, We read a piece of the Times by Michaela Marini Higgs called Go Ahead and Complain, It Might Be Good for You. So we'll get into the nitty gritty of the article in a minute, but let's just start with your relationship to complaining. What is it?
1: I love it. I'm a <laughs> <laughs> um, my my family is are big complainers. Uh, we're big venters. Uh, we love shaking our fists and screaming at the sky. It's really great. Um, but uh, as I've gotten older, I've gone to realize that the nature of our complaining. Um, has been unhealthy to my psyche, <laughs> and I've uh, sort of grown to like change my relationship to it. I still love it because you know I've just been ra- i just been raised on it. But uh, I gotta say, like, yeah, there's um, it's a it's an old pastime for me. So like you know, it, it held a special place in my heart.
0: Wait, when did it? When did you kind of feel that it was not good for you? Like, when did that realization come?
1: When I discovered that it created a toxic atmosphere with people that i cared and loved where like
0: <laughs> where
1: like me genuinely being upset about something um would permeate and impact how my how like the atmosphere of people who liked me were and even if we were doing good things i just had this one moment in which i had a problem and think that it was a release but essentially it was a dump it's like oh this is what i what i thought it was it was just like a a small cup of water but really what i did was dump a gallon on your head and i could not gauge the nature Got like the weight it. of what i was unleashing on people i think that's
0: Ooh, that, unleashing
2: that that feels like a very um, showbiz related experience too. like my uh, I'll back up and say like I pretty much start every day by saying I shouldn't complain but and then depending (laughs) on how I feel either I stop there or I have a list of complaints. However, I'll say my similar, uh, I wouldn't wouldn't call it a come to Jesus moment, but your moment of like, okay, these complaints are unhealthy, was related to show business, was related to being with people, particularly in comedy, who it's like, after a show, every conversation is, well, do you think that person's funny? Or like, I didn't get this. And and like, you know, there's a show business, Toxicity is another 17 episode podcast. But part of it was like, if you're always complaining about stuff, you're not going to appreciate what you have. And- not that you shouldn't. I mean, you shouldn't bottle that up. You should release it at some point. Um, but w- w- in whatever context, like you can always complain. The expression I can't complain is a total lie. You can complain about it like the people at the top of the mountain can complain about something. Uh, but uh, I think you have to make a personal choice about about when you do so um, and, and when it's healthy and around whom you do so. Uh, You know, you don't want to complain to your kids too much. You want to go to someone and complain about your kids, but not to
0: them. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, it's funny, like, I, uh, the the article talked about, you know, complaining can be useful in bonding and it can strengthen friendships. And, and I feel like that's definitely true, you know, when you're in a new situation, like, let's say the the comedy scenario where you're like, green room, back of the, you're in the, in the green room, you just like are listening to another comic do the set, maybe the audience is cold, maybe whatever, and you... You are just like meeting a new comic for the first time and you're just like, hey, this audience totally sucks, huh? And it's like, yeah, they are. Like that moment where you are both in agreement about a complaint and you're new friends and it's like this scintillating, it's like it just totally brings you together Mm -hmm. is – really intoxicating because you're like, Oh my God, this other person feels the same shitty way that I feel right now. We're the same. Um, and so I totally, I was happy to see that the article made the like kind of scientific case that it's, it's useful in bonding and strengthens relationships because I felt that, um, myself, um, but the article makes the case uh, that there's basically three categories of complaining. There's venting, problem solving, and ruminating, also known as dwelling. Um, and the uh, the the stuff that is good, I mean, I, you know, the stuff that's toxic. Um, I the think right. is the dwelling, right? Which is probably it sounds like what Lou was raised on. Is that right, Lou?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think it was a hundred percent. Where it was just like, because what we were raised on was we were dwelling on our poverty.
0: Right, Like, right.
1: we just always didn't have money. Like, right. we were good. I mean, like I said, we, I mean, like, I had a really great childhood. But one of the things that I noticed in looking back at my childhood was, oh, wow, there was a consistent thread about how we didn't have enough money or money was spent wrong or there was this. And it always arrived around that on the dwelling of the lack of of this thing.
0: Right, 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 right. It's I think with the show business stuff, um the you know, uh, like I have a friend, you know, who's who I love and I think she's great, but every time I hang out with her like it brings me down, you know what I mean? Because she complains relentlessly and it is like the show business complaint of like the lack of this thing. And for, in, in this case, it's like the lack of like showbiz jobs, um, for her. And, um, and why is that happening? And why, when is it her turn? And maybe she should quit, you know, and it's just constantly, um, the same, uh, that she beats that same drum so much so that it, I can really, only manage to be around her for like a couple hours at a time, anything longer, and it bring like I start getting depressed. You know well, <laughs> what well, I mean McGinn,
2: first of all, thank you for changing uh, my gender in the story. <laughs> so <laughs> you this me. Uh, I, but you point out a fine I mean there, there's I don't know if it's a fine line, but there's a line between what, what the initial example you had of like having a common enemy, like a new friend and you bond over a yes. bad audience or any workplace a bad manager or a bad decision instead of like having that common enemy and bonding versus always being the complaining person like I I find myself as I get older and I spend more time like with my own family and I spend uh you know the the interaction I have with my friends is less frequent being conscious that I'm not the person that always is one note particularly if that note is negative I mean it's easy to complain about stuff like you just go ahead give me green light so I'm being more conscious to do so because I don't want to be a version of your quote unquote friend that you that you just right. mentioned um, but well, that- and,
0: I, and I think I'm glad you mentioned um, you know having a family because now that I have this baby um, I am very conscious about not being the one to complain about being tired all the time or just like having you know that that the child care can be this drain um, what on uh, I don't want to be the person that's always complaining that I have a kid because I also want to celebrate that I have a kid. But I think it's really easy to fall into that trap. And I see it happen a lot with new parents because it is a really tough time, you know. Um, But then it also kind of, I think further alienates you from having a normal social life. If like you said, if you're the one that's always shows up and is always complaining right. for the rare current times when you can show up, you right. know,
2: I found one thing that's related to this that I found interesting is humble bragging uh, because mm. there, there's a common thread and, and I mean, I, I'm my bias here is that like we published an article about it on, on the website that, that I run. And just this idea, like humble bragging is basically like, bragging uh, you know with with a veneer of a complaint right like I'm so tired of all these men hitting on me when I'm in my sweatpants right or like (laughs) it's so like I'm so exhausted from all these TV appearances I have to do. And like, right, right, like right. When com- and in just the study and the science of it about like how people react to it. Like, is there a sincerity to it? And and I think you know what the science says in humble Brian context is like stuff comes across as insincere. It actually breaks relationships more than it, than it might build them. And I think the true the same is true in complaints. It's like if you're just seen as a complainer, then it's not just that you're a negative presence, but you're just not going to seem like a very dynamic and sincere and genuine person. Uh, and you know, that's not good for relationships.
1: And it's also a good aspect of communication that if all you're doing is complaining, that means you're not doing a lot of listening. Yeah. You're not listening to the person who's with you. You're not gleaming, hey, what's going on with your life? Are things going good? You know, like, and I'll message my friends. It's something that I do recently. I'm like, how are you thriving? Let's hear it. Like, how are you thriving nice. right now? Nice. Because, listen, things suck. Right now, <laughs> yeah. just in general, they just suck. Let's not pretend like things don't suck, but there are bright moments. And I think you become addicted to this dread. You become addicted to complaining. Your brain creates those pathways. They become used to it. You're building a muscle. It becomes stronger. So therefore, you know, it's like you can live force. to have your, yeah. And so you're just going to constantly come back to it. I was in a situation where I was working on a gig and it was a pretty terrible gig. Like a, a very, like several aspects of it were horrible. And, you know, I was just like, every time after work, we would just go drink and we would complain. And then at some point I was just like, I can't keep doing this. This just makes me feel worse about going to this gig. I was like, this gig isn't ending anytime soon. I need to change my mindset about this. And it's not saying that you're dismissing what's bad you just need to check yourself was like okay my feelings are valid but what are the things that are generating these feelings and, and so
0: I actually, I think that's a really good um, p- point that you basic. it sounds like you went from what the article would call like venting to dwelling. So venting, and the, the article talks about is, is healthy because it lets you get out your feelings so they don't build up and turn into stress. Um, which is funny, I didn't really actually think about like venting as, as having some sort of, you know, having um, a relationship with stress. Um, but it makes sense, right? That like, if, if you if you don't keep things bottled up, if you let people know what's going on um, through venting, it could it could really help you. Um, but then I guess it's at a certain point, venting turns into the dwelling. And then that's when, um, when it becomes more, more toxic. So that's one of the ways in which the article talks about it being, um, healthy. And she also talks about like the way that you should do what type of, um, complaining you should do. And I, what, one of the things I really liked is like saying, um, to someone, Hey, I just need to vent. Like, stay from the outside outset. Mm -hmm. This is what this conversation is going to be like right now. I'm going to vent. And even saying, oh, and I don't really, you know, and I just like, I just need a sounding board or like, oh, I I wonder what your thoughts are on this. Um, Let the person know like what you want out of it. So they're not, so if their role is just to sit and listen and empathize, then that's fine. Or if their role is to help you come up with a solution then that's fine too. But it's like for, um, it's helpful for both parties to know what exactly is going on. Um, and the mere act of naming what's going on is you being more mindful about it uh, so that you sort of like don't take your complaining to a level of like, you know, ridiculousness.
2: Well, I feel like you should be my marriage counselor. <laughs> just
0: like, just like, I mean,
2: I, I, I joke because it's true. But like, you, you know, when you are in a relationship, and obviously marriage, being you know the most intimate with the most like. Uh, aspects to it just like knowing what you want out of a moment is key right like i just need to vent like don't try to problem solve and i think that you know not just for the listener but also for the person complaining like if you go and i just got to like tell you this crazy ass story like that's great if you can set the expectations there because people don't know you can't walk up to someone you haven't seen and just start going they're not going to know what you want out of it so if you can say so that's useful too it's great advice Yay!
0: I'm married yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it is, and I and I, it's funny. I like, I I feel like in my own mind, always battling that line between, um, am I vent, am I just, am I venting or am I complaining? Um, and I always, um, I've I sort of associate complaining with, um. You know, when you're on the airplane, I, I just flew back from someplace and, um, you know, there was there was people in first class. I was not in first class. Um, I was in economy with my knees in my nose. Um, and, and I'm a short person. Uh, but I was, but I walked through first class and there was like this woman and she was complaining about like some drink that they didn't have or whatever. I couldn't catch the entire thing. And I was just like, that's the essence of like, shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? That to me, there's something about that kind of like class based complaining that I especially can't handle. You know what I mean? Um, um and uh and and I and so I always want to be mindful of like what type of thing am I upset about and is it and is it a first world problem <laughs> you know what I mean because yeah. if it is I, I don't know I don't even feel like I have the right to vent about it you know what I mean
2: yeah it's interesting because I I'm actually as you're talking it makes me reflect upon our earlier conversation about the debates it's like you can complain about Elizabeth Warren if you're a Bernie fan or vice versa but in the end, like if the, if one of those is the two nominees as a progressive person, that's amazing, right? That's still, like you're in yeah. first class, but you're in the window seat, not the aisle uh, or someone keeps right, bumping right. your leg. And so I it, um, as you, it makes me think if someone once said to me, I, I complained about something. I don't remember what it was, but it, I, I was like, oh, but it's just first world problems. And they're like, yeah, but there's still problems, right? Like, you know, I, I don't want to hear Michael Bloomberg complaint, but I'm sure he has problems that are, you know. Legitimate in some ways, I'm sure it's all related to his height. Right,
0: right, right, right.
2: So I mean, I think I think you're raising the invalid question. Right.
0: Yeah, I'm not trying to take away rich people's, uh, you know, um, and I'm defending them. I'm defending (laughs) the one. But I do think there's
1: there's something to be said. Like, who do you complain to? Right. You know, you don't complain to the people in steerage
2: about like the food in first class. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And 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 it's like you know like uh, understand that there's you know, you can't just dump your shit on people. That's just not the, that's not, Healthy. people don't function. First of all, that's not the purpose of people. <laughs> that's not the purpose of people. And, and you have to be conscious of that. And it's like, regardless of ever how you're feeling, sometimes you may have to check it if it's not the right place. Have, A, have people in your life and work towards having people in your life. And I think that's what's difficult is that people don't understand that there's different types of relationships and that there's different, ways of venting there's different degrees of venting i think there's just people who just like they give it to everyone
0: uh, i think it's great to like like donnie needs to have someone in his life that says to him you know this or that thing is wrong or ridiculous or cruel um, and i think we're in a culture of like uh, what's the word like being polite. And I think even among friends, it's very hard to say, hey, dude, you're complaining too much or you need to, you know, what's the point? What what, what are you getting at? What is the point of it? Um, And I think you're right. It is important to have, you know, those people around and to be open and and, and invite that kind of criticism. I think it's really hard um, for people to to be open to it it's it's very um be you know it feels bad when someone tells you that you're doing something bad you know
1: and it's okay to like it's okay to to for someone to tell you that you're full of shit like it's just like hey right now i just think you're full and like don't get offended by it because you're a person and that's just the nature of you you're full of shit like that's (laughs) humanity that's humanity (laughs) Right. like everyone's shit everyone' shit stinks like and recognize that like be flawed stop like why are you defending yourself
2: to the people who are closest to you Like,
0: that's, what how does that serve
1: how does that serve that relationship at all
2: and I would also say what you that, said was well, sorry what what uh, Lou said earlier about like what you say how are you thriving was that the phrase you used yeah yeah I mean that's a, it brings up an interesting just idea for all of us individually or or in relationships to like Inject a little positivity and then you could follow it with a string of complaints, but at least it gives you that moment where you're not compl- all straight downhill and you keep some perspective. Like I have a, a friend who I think, you know, Bruce Cherry, you know, Bruce? Yeah. Okay, so Bruce is someone and throughout my life I've picked up little nuggets from people and one of the things that he did, uh, I know him for 20 years now back when doing stand-up in San Francisco, is we'd get these gigs and sometimes I offered gigs to him that were just, uh, in the offer you knew they were terrible. It was just like I, I don't even, <laughs> uh, look I don't need to describe, you all know what I'm talking Just you knew it was a failure and it was going to be something miserable and no matter what it was, Bruce would go, this is going to be great! Just like that and I find that that's the thing I picked up from him, like if I don't like even if I have no feeling about some opportunity or yeah. something, once I commit to doing it, I at least say this is gonna be great. And then that positive yeah, thing like is out that. there and it's like a little bubble that I can hold on to in the sea of shit that I'm, you know, floating in. So there's like my that. philosophy for the world today.
0: Well, um, people of fake the nation, how are you thriving? I love that. I love that. I'm going to use it. Um, and, uh, tell me what your relationship is to complaining. Um, I'm so fascinated because also some people don't even know that they're doing it. I think that's, i I realized at a certain point, maybe like in college or something that I was like complaining about things and it wasn't like fun. It's just not fun to be around. And then I was sort of like, why am I complaining? Or like, what, let me get to the solution part. So I don't, have to complain so much, you know. <laughs> it was just like an early realization. Um, so I'm curious: Are you? When did you get? When did you get there? Or have you not gotten there? Are you the one that complains and you don't know? Um, hit me up. But that, you guys, is the end of the show. How do you feel? Who? Us or your uh, listeners? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've. <laughs> I've this, this two, has been great. Jeff and Lou.
2: <laughs> I'm feeling amazing
0: fantastic
2: i feel good i'm i love coming on this show i love meeting the people that are uh, guests and friends of yours like Lou i hadn't met before uh, and just getting an opportunity to have some thoughtful dialogue in a and setting that together et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. we thrive
0: we thrive um you guys i would love for the people of fake the nation to be able to follow you and all the good things that you do where would they do that
1: you can uh, follow Jeff. You can follow me on various <laughs> platforms of, uh, at, at Angry Lou. That's that's my nom de plu on social media.
2: <laughs> awesome.
0: Fantastic. Jeff, where do they find you?
2: Uh, I'll give uh, three things real quick. One is this website, peoplescience.com, which is the easiest to spell. And remember, it's uh, different than what we're talking about. It's all about behavioral science, how it affects the world. The other is all my websites and social media and stuff are my name Jeff Chrysler K R E I S L E R, and uh, as it happens in the next six weeks or so, I'll be all over the place. I'll be in Denver, St. Louis, uh, Orlando, Omaha, weeks, and um, San Francisco. So if you check out the if you're in one of those cities and you check out the website, you can find me and come say hi. And I'll I don't have Palm Springs type recommendations, but I'll say hello.
0: <laughs> you guys know where to find me and all the things that I do. And um, I my I just checked my website is definitely not up to date. Um, but I'm going to be um in um in Des Moines with wait wait don't tell me I'm going to go back to Iowa for the University of Iowa um in February I'm going to be at Smith College also in February um, I'm going to be in Chicago in March. Um, there's just a, a handful of dates and then I'm going to be doing a bunch of little shows in New York. And on Sunday, if you're a Warren person. I will be doing a little bit of stand-up at a Warren event at the Bell House. I think that's at 2.30 or 2 or 2.30 p.m. on Sunday. So we're in New York City. Um, please look it up. Um, the uh, There's going to be a Warren um, event yeah, Elizabeth, that's Elizabeth Warren candidate Elizabeth Warren um, on Sunday at the Bell House I would love for you to support it um, in the meantime what I'd really love to do is thank the people who make Fake the Nation possible uh, that's our uh, production team here uh, our producer Anita Flores our talented audio engineer Andy Christens Gabby Alter wrote her theme music Lily Fleshler helps out with research and you guys we'd love to hear from you send us your feedback topic, topics we should be chatting about our guest ideas um, you can leave us a voicemail at 347-770-4981 or drop us a line at comments at nationcom If you like what you hear, uh, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps more people find out about the show. Um, oh my gosh, it's so great to be back. And um, I, I, I'm sorry I was gone for those... Uh, low those three weeks Um, but I am back and uh, next week we'll be back in New York City and uh, you guys, Fake the Nation 2020 Um, I hope you're starting out the new year uh, in a happy and healthy and thriving way see you next week